Hey, this is Jeff Pilson, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Enjoy. Hey, Metal Ed, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to another episode of Focus on Metal. So this week's show is what we call a timely drop-in from Richie, as I was going down another entire road for episode 587. Richie hit me up, told me he was talking to Jeff Pilson, so I switched the order up, and so we'll see if what I was doing for 587 appears next week or the week after, but this week... We are talking to the man you heard at the beginning of the show for once, actually. That is Jeff Pilson making his fourth appearance here on Focus on Metal. Yep, look back in the archives to figure it out. And yeah, Jeff first popped onto the show on episode 152 during the uh, Strange Highways project. And this week, Jeff is joining us primarily to talk about the brand new Revolution Saints release with uh, Joel Hoekstra, Dean Castronovo, and himself called Against the Winds. But Richie being Richie, he took the opportunity while he had Jeff on the line. And since Jeff is involved in so many other things, to hit up Jeff on a lot of other questions he had about what's going on in the world of Jeff Pilsen. And also, and I thought it was pretty cool, is uh, he asked Jeff what he thought about Paul McCartney recovering the original Hofner bass and uh, asking Jeff if he had a similar issue. And Jeff gave us a great story all about that. So lots of good stuff, as usual, whenever we have Jeff on the show. Super awesome. He's awesome in person. He's awesome on the phone. And you're going to hear some uh, some great Jeff Pilson stuff this week on the show. So with all that in mind, I'm going to shut the hell up and turn it over to Richie and Jeff Pilson. Hey, is that Jeff? It is indeed. Hey, Jeff, it's Richie here. How you doing? Great, great. I'm nice to talk to you again. You're not going to remember me. <laughs> that's okay. Your voice sounds a bit familiar, but that's good. Yeah, okay. I've, met, I've, I've interviewed you backstage at a few shows over the years, and I've done phoners with you. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, good to hear your voice. So I, I have you on to uh, talk about the Revolution Saints album. All right. Yeah, so um, I never asked you this question before, but how many guitars do you have in your house? In my house? Yeah. Uh, I think it's around 45, maybe. <laughs> I know, because um, the only reason, <laughs> one of the reasons I'm asking you is uh, I've interviewed musicians who've recorded with you. Like, I'm Rob McCauley's a friend of mine, so... Uh, uh-huh. He he he! Like some of the guys who've recorded with you have said, "Yeah, you'll just take out this old bass guitar, try this, or this guitar, and try that." So I'm sure you have a lot at your studio, but I've always wanted to know how many you have in your house. So before, the yeah, time, well, I mean that's 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 including the studio, but uh, that's studio and then in the house and various storage places and in the garage and in the storage shed, it's at least forty five. Yeah. Okay. Um. I don't know whether you read about Paul McCartney getting reunited with an old bass guitar he had with the Beatles. I did. Um, I am familiar with that. Have you ever had anything like that where you've been reunited with a guitar that you you thought was gone years ago? I sure have. Um, actually, it's a, it's a funny and wonderful story. Um, I 
years ago, uh, during during the Monsters of Rock, for instance, which was 1988, uh, I was playing a blue Spectre bass, and it was a Spectre bass made by Buddy Blaze in the Brooklyn shop, so it was a premium bass at the time. Long story short, I, uh, I lent it to George Lynch when he started doing the first Lynch Mob record, and um, then when I asked him for it back, he said, no, you gave it to me. I said, no, I wouldn't have given it to you. It's a really special base. He goes, no, you did. You, you said you gave it to me. Anyways, that went back and forth for a long time. Um, finally, you know, I just didn't get the base back and I went, well, okay, whatever. Um, you know, e- even though I, it was a great base and I, I was sad for its loss, but I mean, I kind of couldn't convince George that he hadn't, I hadn't given it to him. Anyway, whatever. So years later, I get a call from Marty O'Brien. Marty O'Brien is currently the bass player for Daughtry, but he's played with Lita Ford, Kelly Clarkson. He's played on a bunch of records. He's a fabulous bass player. I've known him since the 90s when he lived in Providence, Rhode Island. But, you know, we've become good friends over the years. Anyways, I get a call from him one Sunday morning, and he says, hey, I've got something. Can I come over? And I was like, wow, I wonder what this is. But sure, yeah, come on over. So he comes over. I open the door. He he hands hands the base. He puts a base out, and it's the Blue Spectre. I'm like, and I recognize it immediately. And I go, "How in the world do you have that base?" And he tells me the story that basically he found it online in the early '90s because he was looking for a base like the one I had at Monsters of Rock. I don't think I was the only guy that inspired him to get this base, but but I think I was one of the guys that inspired him to get this kind of base. Um, and and when he found it, they said was owned by George, or was uh, used by Jeff Tilson during the Monsters of Rock tour, blah, blah, blah. So he said he bought, he bought it sight unseen because he then, as soon as they said that, he knew what base it was. So he bought it sight unseen. It became his baby. He loved that base when he was playing in various bands in the 90s. He even opened up for Dio. He was in a band that opened up for Dio, and I think that's when I met him, although I, I don't have a lot of memory of that particular meeting, but you know, I know Dio played in Providence probably 94, I'm guessing. 93, 94. Um, so he uh, he came to the show, and you know he was probably playing that bass, and I didn't see him. But uh, anyways, long story short, he didn't want to he didn't want to bring it up over over all the years because he was worried it would cause a problem between George and I. Um, so so anyways, um, when I found that out, it was like I was so happy. I said, "Well, I got to give you the money that you paid for it." And he goes, "No, that ruined the story." So you got to give Marty a lot of credit. He was really cool about it. He just gave it back to me. It now hangs in my family room with a little plaque, and <laughs> it's it's wonderful that I got reunited with it. And it's 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 great to have the base back. Nice. So nice. I, yes, I understand how. I mean, it's not as extreme as Paul's, and certainly not as valuable as Paul's. I mean, can you imagine how many millions of dollars that base would be worth? But um, I mean, that's the base, and it's, it's like he had two of those Hofners during the '60s, and that was one of them. So pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, today I'm talking to you, Jeff. Uh, Mick Jones has just revealed that he's battling Parkinson's disease. Um, I want yeah, to ask yes. you. How difficult was that for 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 you to not say anything? Because you would have had people coming up to you at shows asking you why Mick wasn't on stage with you. Uh, it's been extremely difficult. Uh, I mean, it's been really difficult. It's it's somewhat heartbreaking. Um, although I got to tell you, I suspected that he had Parkinson's long before he even got 
the diagnosis. Um, and I, I think I even mentioned something, but you know, management was like, no, 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 no. He's been checked for that. It's not that. And oh, wow. Anyway. Um, but I, uh, yes, it's been difficult. Um, you know, it is, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad he's, I'm glad he's bringing it up because, you know, hopefully they can start to do something about this horrible, horrible, horrible disease. Um, my, my stepfather had it, which is probably how I recognize some of the signs. Um, so yeah, I, I, am hoping that this leads to more people trying to help out in conquering a really horrible disease. Mm. Over the years, Jeff, have you ever sat down with Mick and just asked him his approach to songwriting? Because I know like you've written a lot of songs over the years, just to maybe pick his brain on where did this idea uh, come from? Where do you start? Um, of course, of course. And, and you know, we, we've worked on songs together. So, yeah. he, I mean, and I love working with Jones. I really do. Uh, and that's part of the heartbreaking thing that we've had to deal with the last few years is it would be so great to, you know, really work with him. Um, but, you know, there are still, I mean, he's not, it's not like he's a vegetable or anything. He's still pretty together. So, you know, he's, a, I mean, I think he's had it for a while, but I think he's, he's he, there are still times when he's very, very together. So, um, I hope I do get to work with him some more, but I, the times I've worked with him have just, they are, they're very enlightening, uh, a window into a, he's a genius songwriter. I mean, let's face it, he really is. And, and getting to work with him, watch him work, see how he, see how, how he approaches things and asking him about it. Yeah. Cause I, I ask all sorts of questions when I'm with people that I look up to, uh, especially in, in work related things uh, i asked him a lot of questions and so yeah i picked his brain a lot i think sometimes with songwriting though jeff it's you can't point your finger at what he does that's great it it, it just comes out of him and that's the, that's the most well, frustrating yeah. thing i think maybe for you when you're asking him it's like you can't explain it to me i just have it uh in a way yeah i mean well and we don't we, I understand that as well, you know. So, um, so really, what it talk, what it is, is you talk about how do you get into the zone? How do you get to that place where it is just flowing, and it just kind of comes through you? Um, that's the magical spot, and you know, n- nobody has a hundred percent grasp for that. Uh, I don't believe, um, but but people have their various ideas, and Mick being one of them, some some very very concrete ideas of what you do to get yourself in that zone, and those kind of things are. F- fascinating to talk with him about. Mm. Speaking of songwriting, I'll swing it on to Revolution Saints now, Jeff. How, ma- how many songs does Alessandro Del Vecchio have in him? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently thousands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. The guy is really prolific, uh, wonderful writer, really great producer and engineer. So, I mean, I, I love Alessandro and I, I love his work. I think he's amazing. Um, and yeah, the guy is a songwriting machine. Pretty cool. He does want to try and uh, open it up to the band a bit on the next record, which I think will be fun. I'm hoping we can get into situations where that'll happen. Um, but if it doesn't, we do have Alessandro, which is great. Mm. How long have you known Joel Hoekstra and Dean? Well, I've known Dean. I mean, I'm probably I'm, I probably met him in the '80s. I want to say, and definitely had contact with him in the '90s. Got to know him better. I mean, you know, Journey toured with Foreigner. We did a tour together in 2011. I think that's when I kind of got closer to him. Um, so I've known Dean a long time. Joel, I met. Um, I want to say before he was in Night Ranger. He was in the Rock of Ages uh, band in New York on Broadway. Um, so 
I want to say I met him around then, so I probably mid 2010s, you know, somewhere in there. Um, and then, of course, when uh, when well, I, and, and in 2011, no, so I would have been before that. I'm sorry, because uh, in 2011 he came in and substituted for Mick Jones on several shows. He was he was in Night Ranger at the time, and Mick had his his uh, situation. So uh, when he left the tour, Joel took over for I, I want to say 10 or 11 shows, and just did an amazing job. He had zero time to prepare, zero. I mean, he had a night, and and the night that he found out, he also had to do the Rock of Ages band. So he comes back in New York from the Rock of Ages band that night woodsheds the songs a bit at home in New York the next day flies to where, wherever we are I think it was Oklahoma or something anyways comes to my hotel room for a half an hour and we go go back and forth and just kind of going over specifics comes to the sound check does the sound check does the show and doesn't make a single mistake he's in a, <laughs> he's an unbelievable machine so I mean I, yeah, so I've worked with Joel since 2011, probably known him a few years before that. You know, he was in Night Ranger and stuff, so um, couldn't give you any exact dates, but somewhere around in there. He, he's, one of, he's one of these guys, Jeff, that, like, he's a fabulous guitar player, but he should probably be more well-known than he is. He, if someone was to ask me that question, who do you think should be more well-known as a guitar player who's really, really good? I'd say, yeah, Joel Hoekstra would be one of them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he's he, he's right up there with, you know, unfortunately, he didn't enter the scene yeah. until it was after the time when guys like that were able to get the exposure that they deserve. So. So, yeah, he 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 um, excuse me. He that, that became a problem or that that's the reason why he isn't as well known as he is. And yes, he should be. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how come, Jeff, you're more heavily involved in producing the end machine than you are with Revolution Saints. Well, that's just the way it was set up. I mean, end, end machine was, you know, it, it's it's a production deal with me, so um, I'm sort of responsible for the end machine, like Alessandro is responsible for Revolution Saints. Um, and that was, and Revolution Saints was already in place, but when I joined, they had what two or three records out yeah. before I even joined. Yeah. So, um, so that was in place, and you know, I, I was told I'm I'm going to come in and. I actually enjoyed the fact that I got to come in and just be the bass player. That's a very nice thing for me to let go of all the top end responsibilities of everything and just be a bass player. That's actually very fun for me. So I knew the deal joining Revolution Saints. When Machine was formed, the, the idea was that I'd be the producer and, and, and all that. So um, they're just kind of the, the way the deals were set up and put in place. Okay, okay. Um, with, with the end machine, how surprised were you that Robert Mason left the group? Well, he didn't. I mean, I mean, the the thing with Robert is, uh, you know, first of all, he didn't do anything <laughs> wrong or anything else. Um, but you know, I I think Robert felt uncomfortable trying to write in the style that we were going for. Um, you know, I you know Robert is of our generation, so he's. For him, that's kind of like repeating yourself and and trying to do it's it's a forced situation. When Garish came into the picture, um, it's natural for him because this is where he comes from. The music that George and I tend to write, that's where he you know that's what he it's in his DNA. So he um, I think he felt very natural. So when he started writing for it, it just felt natural. It's not forced at all. Um, and and he had a great attitude about it. And you know we had to do rewrites and all that, but. Man, he did a great job. And with Robert, I think it just didn't feel 
you know, like a comfortable place to be. I mean, I, I think he wanted to move forward more as, as a writer. And, um, I understand that. I get that. Uh, it's just, it's not what this situation turned out to be. Okay. Did you contact Joel at all about Gurish? Because he'd played on his record, or was that was that a recommendation uh, well, from the label? Well, I mean, I didn't, I didn't contact Joel specifically for that reason, uh, because, but I did happen to talk with Joel after Gurish was his singer, and and yeah, we found it very ironic, um, and he, you know, he thinks the world of him. So yeah, it's kind of kind of cool. Mm. Did you have a wish list of who you wanted as a singer when Robert said he wouldn't do it? No, um, actually, the, the whole thing came about because um, uh, Girish uh, was brought to our attention, and he just sounded so incredible uh, that it just—it was just—it was a no-brainer. Um, and um, so, you know, when we heard his voice, that—that that was that was what made us decide on the change. Okay. Um, of course, you still have Steve Brown in the band. Um, now I, I've interviewed Mick and I couldn't get a word in is, is Steve the same way? Steve is a very effusive personality he's a <laughs> lovable guy he's, he's, a one, he's just a wonderful man he, I, I, I adore Steve and I've known him since he was 16 years old so um, actually 15 because I remember his 16th birthday so anyway um, yeah, he's just a, he's a great guy. He's got a, he's got mixed kind of personality. Um, very, very sparkly though. And I mean, really sparkly and, and, and just fun. He's just a fun guy, really fun to work with. Lots of laughs like Mick. I mean, you know, when, when George and I, Mick and I worked together, there was always just this beautiful, natural flowing chemistry. And we always enjoyed it. We always had a lot of fun. And we worked hard, too. Um, and Steve's the same way. He works really hard, but we have a lot of laughs. We make a lot. We make it fun. And uh, that's how music should be. Mm. Jeff, I know Mick is retired. Um, do you still keep in touch with him at all? Uh, yeah. I mean, he. You know, my birthday was a few weeks ago, and he texted me a really sweet text. And, nice. Um, we talked not too terribly long before that, actually. We talked before I had my surgery because he had a, it was really weird. You know, I had back surgery in November and he had had a premonition about it and he called me to talk about it. It was kind of interesting. So, um, so yes, I have contact with Mick. I haven't spoken with him a while now, but you know, the, the text of my birthday was, was so sweet that, uh, said a lot. Okay. Um, I want to ask how frustrating it is as an artist to create music and never really get an opportunity to play it live. You've only done a couple of shows with it, The End Machine. Uh, you've got done a couple of records with Black Swan you haven't played live. And you've got Revolution Saints. And I know you're out with Foreigner playing all these classic songs. But you've got all this new material that you've played on. And, you know, you never get a chance to re really play it live. <laughs> yes. How frustrating is that? Well... Uh, it is frustrating. I mean, you know, you you kind of know that going into it, so it's not, it isn't the same as where once upon a time a band would sit in a room, they'd work things out together, they'd play it, they'd record it, then they'd go out and play it live. It's not that scene, and yes, I miss that. That was a beautiful, beautiful arrangement, uh, and it was a wonderful process, and I, I loved all of it. I, I loved it, uh, but it's not the reality of the music business right now, uh, which I can't change, so um, 
So, like I say, so yes, it's frustrating, but because I'm so aware of it going into it, it doesn't affect me like it could. Mm. It seems to affect the fans a lot more than it does the musicians. I would say you're 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 right. And I'm, I, I, I'm I think one they, of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, and you know, I just explained to people, it's just it's logistically so impossible to pull the schedules. I mean, you got multiple bands. I mean, you know, Tesla, Foreigner, Lynch Mob. I mean, you know, that's just the end machine. Then with Black Swan, you know, White Snake, Winger, yeah. uh, MSG. I mean, there's just there's just so many different things. Yeah. Um, and everybody has to work. You know, that's just the way it is. So um, it's logistically impossible. I mean, you know, it's expensive. People don't realize how expensive it is to rehearse and work up a band to do to do gigs where there's really no money in it because you're not an established band. So it's it, it, there's just a laundry list of reasons why it can't happen. And because we know all those things going into it, the frustration of not being able to play these songs live gets tempered by that. Okay, okay. I just got a couple of questions before I leave you go, Jeff. Um, I, I have to ask you about James Kotak. Um, for oh, me per- sure. Yeah, for me personally, me doing the show about 12 years, he was one of the nicest guys I'd met and interviewed. Yeah. Um, but you have a history with him that goes way, oh, way boy, back. Oh, boy, do I? Um, yeah, I you, know. You know, can you tell me a little bit about your friendship with James? Yeah, well, it began the night I met him. I think he was just. I, he might. It might have even been his twenty-first birthday. I, I'm not sure, but I think. I think. Believe he had just turned twenty-one, um, and uh, he came to the. He he had just come to L.A. He had just driven into L.A. with his girlfriend, and they came to the Rainbow. And I was there that night. I think with Bobby Blotzer, and um, I met James, and we hung that entire night and had a great I mean I was like oh who is this kid he's great you know he's fresh and young and I didn't know anything about his playing but I you know I I, I felt his energy uh, and we became friends and we you know actually we became friends and hung out several times before I heard him play drums honestly uh, then when I heard him play I was like oh this kid is great and I and I knew things you know I knew big things were coming and yeah, then in the late 80s and early 90s, we did a lot of sessions together for Keith Olsen. I mean, numerous records. We, we were kind of Keith's uh, go-to bass player and drummer for, you know, God, a year and a half, I want to say, some two years maybe. Um, and we did so many records together and had so much fun doing them. Keith Olsen was such a fun guy to do records with. I mean, I mean, I can't even tell you. And the studio was right down the street from my house, which was beautiful. Um, so... Yeah, I go back to that. I I lost contact with James in recent years. Um, last time I saw him that I remember was at a festival in Belgium years back. Um, but I love James dearly. I was heartbroken, really heartbroken. Unfortunately, I knew he had a lot of problems. Uh, he had even re- reached out through emails not too terribly long ago where he sort of expressed that he was working on getting help and things like that so i was hoping he was improving but i knew there was there was problems um and i'm just i'm heartbroken i mean he was he was a friend for 40 years 41 years mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah heartbreaking yeah I want, I want to ask you jeff final question about one of the records you did with with keith and i think james was on it um you remember doing any the Dare record, Blood from Stone? Because I'm a big fan I, of I that. I do. 
I do indeed. And I remember the two guys that were involved. I can't, Darren was one of them, and I can't remember the other guy's name. But uh, Vinny Barnes, that was a, Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, it actually doesn't sound familiar. But um, but uh, anyway, um, oh, it was a fun record. I mean, those guys were great. And again, doing a record with Keith, it was fun. It was it was it was hard work too because they were they were a little different than a lot of the stuff we did. Uh, but man, it was really fun because I, I thought their music was really fresh there was something really cool and fresh about their music so um that was just a fun detailed record mm. so jeff what, what what's happening now with after foreigner you've obviously taught about it um what plans do you have well there's no after yet the only thing there is after is big long tours uh this is the last year we're going to do a big long tour um, but we're going to be, you know, we're, we're still going to exist. And I'm, I know we're going to do some shows in 2025. It's just, they're going to be very select. Um, but that, but this is the last year of long touring, which for me is great because as much as I love to play live, um, you know, travel has gotten to be a difficult thing as you get older. Yeah. And I do love being home in the studio. I really do. Um, and I love to make records. So hopefully I'll get to do a lot more of that. My schedule will open up a lot in 2025. Um, so there will be foreigner work to do. There are songs still floating around. Um, so there is finishing them which i hope we can do in but you know there are complications involved with that but that's that's something that we've talked about that we'd like to do when we have some time in 2025 but again it's going to be making a lot more records and maybe i will get a chance to play live george is kind of wrapping up his lynch mob farewell ride this year so uh his schedule will open up a bit in 2025 the logistics and, and a lot of those problems still remain uh but scheduling wise at least for george and i we're probably gonna have more time so hopefully we'll get to do um something live it would be just so amazing if we did um but uh my main plans uh post foreigner touring are making records hopefully one with foreigner as well at least some new songs and and just making records and doing what i'd love to do okay what about black swan are you doing another third record yeah Reb was here just a couple weeks ago, and we spent a, a hardcore week and got seven songs deep into the next Black Swan record. So we're very excited about that, and uh, yeah, we're we're uh, we're on our way. It's not going to come out, I'm sure, until sometime into 2025. But um, but yeah, we we got a great start to a new record. Excellent, that's great news, Jeff. Um, I think you're up my way in the summer, so hopefully I'll get out and see you. Uh, where are you? I'm in uh, Boston, just outside of Boston. Oh, yeah. No, we're definitely playing there, I believe, with Sticks and John Waite. So, uh, yes, hopefully see you in the summer. Try and come up and introduce yourself if you can. I will. I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up a text, Jeff, and see what we, if we can do something. That would be great. Thank you so much, man. Great talking to you. You are a fabulous interview. All right, fabulous. Jeff. Have a good rest of the day. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. And there you go. Richie's chat with Jeff Pilsen. Hopefully a lot of good stuff in there. And obviously we've been able to have the opportunity to talk to Jeff about some uh, pretty late breaking news as far as Mick Jones. And so that was just rather timely that that dropped in. And of course, a reminder back that, uh, you know, you want to support the artist, pick up the new Revolution Saints album, Against the Winds, great players on there with uh, Joel and Dean. And, uh, you know, be sure to check out Jeff on tour this summer with Foreigner. And hopefully we'll get to see him out there with some other bands as well very soon. Uh, you know, like he mentioned, George kind of wrapping up Lynch Mob. 
So maybe we'll be able to see something uh, in that department later on. Would definitely be great to even see some of that Lynch Pilsen stuff played live. And just roping in these, you know, last minute things that get announced. If, in case you missed it earlier this week, ACDC announced that they were going to be doing reissues of nine of the albums in their catalog on, I think they were referring to it as Gleaming Gold Vinyl. And there's a 50th anniversary label in the center of it as well. So if you're into ACDC and into vinyl, that might be something to add into your collection. You can go up to store.acdc.com and check that out. I think they have an announcement on their site as well about it. And they've also got, besides the Gleaming Gold up at the ACDC store, they have actually a couple of the other releases and some other vinyl as well. There's a special one, multicolor of Highway to Hell. They've got another one that's uh, back in black and multiple colors. But for me, you know, I think I'm probably going to be trying to check out all of that gleaming gold one. Just add that in. I just like those wholesale reissue catalog stuff like the one that Sound of Vinyl did. I think last year or two years ago for the entire Scorpions catalog, that one was pretty sweet. And there's been a few others like that that were really well done and cohesive. So, you know, I know I've already got pre-orders in for three of the nine as of right now. And I do plan on plunking down to get the remaining six as well. So a short but sweet episode this week. Wanted to make sure that I got this out quickly. It's, you know, it's timely as far as getting the word out about Rev Saints. And uh, we owe it to Jeff. Always been a great guest. Always been a good supporter and hooking us up with folks as well. So with that, there ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again, as always, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. You're still here? It's over. Go home.